Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8 and look at verses 1 through 13. The writer of Hebrews is technically unknown. People like to speculate. It could be Paul, but they really don't know, so it doesn't really matter because if it's God's word, that's all that matters. We just need to listen to it. We don't really know who it is, but we know it's inspired or it wouldn't be there. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. That's the old covenant. Let me give you context here. This is the writer talking to, we'll call it the church leadership, which we're all leaders in the church, by the way. If we're serving, we're leading. And he's trying to explain to them what to imitate, to imitate the blueprint that Christ left according to this plan from heaven and nothing else, and to not get caught up in the old failing ways of the old covenant, but that we've got this new blueprint called the new covenant. So when he says prescribed by the law, that's the old covenant, Old Testament, old contract, it's all the same. Verse 5, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. It's a copy and shadow of what is, he- what is in heaven. That's good. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. What did God do also when he, when he gave Noah the ark? A pattern, right? A blueprint. Now he's given Moses a pattern according to what you saw on the mountain. But in fact, verse 6, this ministry has received, this ministry Jesus has received as a superior to theirs, as a covenant of which he is mediator, is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. I'm going to get there. This is a little bit deep read, so I don't want to like have you check out before I get to how I explain it in a minute. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is prophetic here. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their aunts and uncles, their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant anyway. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant, say this one, I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the last of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. That's important. Y'all keep remembering your sins, but God said, I forgot them when you told me you were sorry through repentance. So if I forgot them, why are you holding on to them still? By calling this covenant new, guess what? It made the old one obsolete. That means it's it's dead. New replaces the old. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. My title today is Places, Patterns, and purpose. 
We just talked about purpose. It's effective in a lot of areas. It needs a lot of explanation. Otherwise, it's just a really neat buzzword. Places, patterns, and purpose. How many had little kids once? I always like to do that. Like, how many had a mother once? How many have a mother? You know what I mean? Some people still don't raise their hand when you say, like, did you have parents? Nope. Sure didn't. All right, well, let me know how it goes on the way back to Mars, okay? But my kids, when they were little, Mars, they don't have planets because, you know, they're aliens. That's what, they don't have parents. They're aliens. It's a joke. My kids, when they were little, they had all these, like, drawing toys. and You remember, like, the Etch-A-Sketch and the Magnet Doodle? Is that it? Is that the one that's red with the gray screen and you draw the magnet, trace the mag? <clears throat> they had these ones where they would trace something and they tear it off and they don't tell dad I had a toy that helped me. They just bring me this fine piece of art at three years old that they drew. And I'm like, wow, I knew they were my child, so they must be gifted. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I was like, wow, that's my kid? Where'd you learn to draw like that? YouTube? No, you didn't draw that. That's the real dad coming out. I said, you traced that, didn't you? And, and especially Caleb, he's full of pride. Well, you know, yeah, it, it helped me. But I, I moved the pencil, you know, or how many remember coloring books? Do they still do coloring books for little kids, or is it all digital now, like TikTok edition? Well, uh, coloring books, if you don't know, just like uh, people who don't have parents, uh, coloring books are these black and white uh, stro uh, stroke only. Oh, I'm getting Photoshoppy here. The stroke, only the line, the inside's hollow. And you take these things called crayons and you color them in. And I don't know about you, but I was awful at staying in the boundaries of the picture. I was the kid who probably, you know, like Kaylee, she did this. She just scrib scribble and think it's art. And that's actually a failed color if you really want to be critical when you're like seven. And uh, my cousins were always really good at coloring. And one time there was a six, I'm just going to vent here because I have trauma. Uh, one time there was this coloring competition at Six Flags, and it was like a coloring sheet the size of my leg. And if you could color it the best, you could get free tickets to like the Ninja or something, Batman ride, I don't know, T tickets to the park, get your free turkey leg or whatever. And so theirs was just amazing. And, and, and mine was just horrible. And I was always jealous at how well they could they could, they're basically tracing that color within the boundaries of their, their paper. It's telling them how to do it, right? And just like the, the sketching of art uh, through tracing is not yet instinctual on the person moving the pen, but they're smart enough and wise enough to know that they have to imitate it like this for it to come out like that. And if they stray from the boundaries of that, uh, you know, outline, it won't come out right. And so, he said here in verse 5, this is where he's giving kudos to the priesthood here on earth, the ones who are doing it right, is that it's a copy, the way they're doing it is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. We're shadowing on earth as the church 
what is in heaven. That's the mission. And so a few weeks back, we talked about finding purpose through priority. How many remember that one? We talked about prioritizing. I know y'all, I know some of y'all, Jen, I know you remember that one we talked about. And Vince, I know you remember that one. And we talked about the prioritization of your life is very important to founding that, that cool buzzword purpose. But today we're going to talk about places, patterns, and purpose. And it's very important to prioritize, but before you can find purpose, you have to understand even what it is. It sounds really cool. It's like, it's like saying, God is able. What do I do with that? God is able, praying, hashtag praying. What is he really going to do in my life? What is purpose really supposed to look like in my life? So we have to understand what it even is. And what purpose is, is the result of understanding why God puts you on this earth and then you living in that calling. That's finding God's purpose. I'm not saying you can't find other purposes in your life, but we're taught, when we say purpose, when a preacher says purpose, he's talking about God's purpose and nothing else. Your purpose is to find God's purpose. Discover your perfect plan made just for you and me. That's our vision statement. What that means is discover why you were put here on this earth and then live in that calling and great things will happen to you. You will find fulfillment in only that way because that's God's way. Well, the preacher tells me to have it, purpose, but how do I find it? You know, it used to really drive me crazy, especially as a musician. There's this figure of speech that says, um, well, you just have to be in the right place at the right time. That used to make me mad because what that told me is no matter how dedicated I was, no matter how committed I was, talented, gifted, whatever, no matter how much I put into it, if I wasn't just in the right place at the right time, it still wouldn't happen. That means my efforts are, are moot to the outcome. And, and that may happen with the judgment of the world because that's what that is. That's you having to be sifting through the crowd to stand out because it's more about who you know in that situation than it is about what you bring to the table. How many got third place at the dance, the dance competition at Skate Park and got the free Slurpee instead of the $100 gift because they weren't, they weren't as good. I mean, they weren't as popular. I'm not bitter. Has anybody ever been in a talent show? What's well, a talent show? All we do is play Fortnite, says the 10-year-olds. What I'm saying to you is God's way doesn't judge based on those merits because he sifts you out either way. So it's, it's, it's the opposite of this having to be at the right time. All that to, to lead, that purpose will find you based on your patterns in your places. Oh, that's good. That's so simple. It's actually very helpful to me. Good. That's the point. Your purpose will find you when you establish the right patterns and you hang out. <laughs> oh, this is good. In the right places. I don't know why. It just never changes for me. Well, let's talk about those things. The right places will establish themselves when we internalize the patterns God wants us to follow in our heart. And together, the right patterns in the right places leads to God's purpose finding us. Isn't that nice? We don't have to just be in the right place at the right time. The right thing will come knocking on my door 
God loves you that much. He's got enough time to find you. Did you know Spotify listens to like 20,000 songs a day? And if you want to get an editorial playlist, you got to submit it like a month ahead because there's so much to listen to. You just got to be sifted out. But with God, what's Spotify? It's a music streaming service. With God, he'll make time for you as long as you're willing to establish the right patterns and hang out in the right places. He's saying I shouldn't go there. No, not quite. I'll get there. Sinners need Jesus. If we disconnect from sinners, how can we witness the goodness of God? That's old church school talk. Uh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. It's like the candle analogy. You can't get too close to fire without getting burned. So if you think you can keep going there and not get burned, someone's lying to you, the devil. So what you have to do is you got to get them people away from the fire too so you can actually connect with them. Otherwise, your impression on them is, is scorched by their impression on you. That's why you can't commingle with the word. The Bible says that's enmity with God. That's, that's the opposite. You have to draw in the sinners to, to draw them to God and not let them draw you into their world. You won't win that. The devil loves it when we think we can. That's why places is relevant. I just went on my high horse there for a minute, my soapbox. I was preaching there for a second. My question to you today, somebody, and if, if you're feeling this and, and you, got, you want to answer this question right now, I dare you to raise your hand. It's, I'm going to say to you, are you looking for freedom? Who's looking for freedom today? But maybe stuck in a habitual confining pattern. See, it's an imprisoning when the pattern is confining our ability to find freedom. I know it's abstract. I'll get there. So let's talk about places. The problem with places is where we hang out is where we're influenced. And if you hang out in a dark enough place, you're going to be influenced by the darkness. However, if you can get close enough maybe like a common area, the safe zone, and reach people, they will come out of the dark with you. But if you go too far in and you're not strong enough, because I know the Bible says that the, the, the demons tremble when the presence of God is in the room. However, if you don't have a strong enough presence of God in you or you don't have the presence of God in you, you just think you do because you've got a high once at church, like, like the, the demons will devour you in the moment. You'll just fall back into their ways just like them. You'll be popping the pills just like them. You'll be, you'll be doing whatever. You'll be, you'll, you'll be tipping the bottle with them. You'll be whatever. You'll just be laying on the floor like them. Oh, he's too honest. Why are we doing this then? Did this feel good or to flow with God's will? That's what places do. And influence, you're a product of your environment, shapes you. It will shape you over time. You become a product of your environment. You ever caught, like, um, your family saying something like you? Like, the, the way you say it? That's because they're a product of their environment. You pick up on even the, the speaking patterns. I don't know about y'all, but I had some really good friends when I was 15, and they talked so good. And can we talk about cussing for a minute? Is that offensive to somebody? Oh, my, he said cussing. Like uh, when, um, so I'm, I'm not saying cuss. I'm saying I used to never cuss when I was a little bitty kid, and I got teased because I didn't. I remember a kid in third grade saying, Jeff, I never heard you cuss. 
And then I remember a kid in the fourth, when I was 14, ninth grade, said, Jeff, you just never cussed. And it got to me because I wanted to be cool with them. So you know what I did? I went in the bathroom at Parkway Central, and I let out every curse word I could think of. <laughs> I wanted to see what it felt like because I'd never said those words. And let me tell you, you can justify it all you want. But James says that you can't speak bitter and sweet at the same time. So you want a pure spring, you can't be spewing that garbage. You can, you can be offended right now, I don't even care, because that's the Bible, because out of the goodness of your heart, the mouth speaks. And if you think you can keep speaking like that and screaming at people and yelling at people and telling them what you think and hating on people, guess what? The garden ain't right. That's why it matters. We're going to be preaching a good old series on James soon, and it's all about this. I love it. And I'm preaching to myself because I used to have a, so from that moment on in the, in the ninth grade, guess what I had a problem with? Stopping. And then I got some real good friends that I thought were cool. And guess what they did worse than me, Nicole? They talked worse than me. And so guess what happened to me? I started talking worse too. And it got so bad that I remember my mom a few times. Jeffrey, <laughs> what did you say? Oh, I can't even tell you some stories. Got to a point where I was enough I didn't even care. I'd laugh at my mom. I was more ashamed that I said something in front of my mother like that than I was actually worried about the fear of her, you know, spanking me. I was like 23 or something. But until the Holy Spirit got inside of me, I couldn't eradicate that mess. I'll tell you what happened at 25. I stopped instantly. Instantly. A problem that, that's, that's when God, God changed me forever. He transformed me by the, by the indwelling of his spirit. And what I want to tell you is that something that feels impossible to stop once it's starting because of that influence, God can change it in a moment. And he will change it in a moment. And you'll go, that's, you can clap for that. And he'll go, that's so weird. All the things, all the self-help books I've read, you know, you know, you know why they say the self-help books section is so popular and so many choices? Because none of them work for so long. Eventually, that'll lead you to Christ. Christ is the only fix. So, so like, that can get you there. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm saying eventually, like, you got, you got to have something bigger in you to really change the soil because it's still in there until he eradicated it. Kind of like the new covenant. He said, I actually have forgiven and it's gone now. It's not in there dormant. It's gone. That's what places do. So when you think it's not significant, it could turn into a 20-year habit that takes 20 years to break, and only God could break it. And that's just one of many I had. Let me tell you, I was as, I did them all. But God changed me, and I'm forever grateful for that opportunity to be changed. But those places influence us. Some of you just keep the place in your heart by memory. It's not even a physical place. It's like, let me say this clearly, it's like a traumatic situation that you hold here. So when you feel weak, you go to that place here. And now you keep telling yourself all those things that the devil wants you to say that God says that's not true about you. Why are you beating yourself up again? I don't feel that way about you, but we keep going back to that place in our heart. Maybe it's not a physical nightclub or whatever. What was that? Have a nice day cafe place. Been there. I found purpose. Um, 
Sorry, trauma's coming back to my mind from my 20s. Um, you don't have to have a physical place like that to have a place that's influenced you in a negative way. It could be in your heart that you're holding on to that thing. That happened maybe when you were a little kid. Maybe it happened in your family. And so now you have a skewed view of family. And every family you approach now, you, it brings you back to that place in your heart. See, there's an influence in the places we occupy. There's an influ influence. That's why God wants us to, to dwell with him. Remember when he was with the, I'm just preaching here now. This is like, this is like what preachers do. When, when he was with the apostles, he needed a place to lay his head. And he, they, they, dwelt, they dwelt together. It's like they inhabited the same space. Remember when they're sleeping on the boat? They were together in those moments. Those are places. They're defining places in the apostles' hearts because of God's influence there. And that's what's really cool. Maybe you live in the digital places. How many would like to watch John Mayer clips until they pass out at night every night and they just one after the next and it just never gets old on Instagram? I'm the only one? Nobody likes John Mayer? Okay, thank you, Nicole. Amen, sister. How many, how many watch video feeds online? Or it, it's, it's captivating, right? Um, it, here's the thing is I love that too. And out of nowhere, I'll be swiping, and then something really crazy shows up in my feed. I remember my dad saying, this is so funny. He said, Jeff, I was watching one seat church, and the next thing I know, some girl in a bikini showed up. <laughs> like it was my fault. I said, Dad, that's Facebook videos. I don't know. I mean, I think, Dad, it's based on your Google search app. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's going, hmm? Uh, I'm just kidding. But seriously, you, Facebook's a perfect example. TikTok's worse. Uh, there's just junk everywhere. And so there may be good, but ciphering through the junk is making an impression, and that's becoming like a place you go. I think, I think almost every night now I go to Instagram and watch John Mayer play the same songs. There's something soothing about it to me. But then I, I get a little bit of extra, and then I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to look at that. Now that's in my mind before I go to bed. That's in, my, that's in my REM mode. Now I'm wondering why I had these crazy dreams. I thought God was speaking. No, it's the trash I was looking at, perhaps. Not me. I'm saying, like, I'm using myself as an example. I don't look at heavenly things personally, but Chloe was just showing me CapCut app. How many have seen that? It's a really cool little app. You can make these hilarious videos. Like, y'all thinking, man, this, I thought this would be deeper at 1C Church. Just hang with me. Like, you, you can watch Tom and Jerry go look through a window, and there's Camilla. Like, it's these really cool videos. But I went and looked at it myself, and, and Chloe, don't get upset at me, but, man, there was trash all over. And she even said, yeah, I have to, like, I have to scoot past that pretty quick. Because it's just everywhere. And, and the more we're allowing it to be in our, in, our, in our foresight, the more we're impacted by it. Those are all places we're going to. Is this making sense? So purpose is impacted by those places you hang out at. Digital, physical, emotional. So what leads me to those places? Does anybody want to guess? There's only three, three words in here today. They all begin with P. What leads me to those places? Places, 
patterns. Oh, y'all so smart. You got it. Patterns do. When I'm teasing, I love y'all. It's just being silly. Patterns determine your places. So if patterns determine my places, pattern determines my purpose. There's a connection. My pattern is determining the places I arrive at. I arrive at my job. The worship team arrives at 8.30. The video production team arrives at 9.45, 9.15. Sorry, I look at Pro, Pro Center, Planning Center. There's a pattern to how we even do church. And every week, the pattern is the same. That determines when we arrive at the place we call God's house. There's a pattern that gets you up in the morning with your alarm clock. You brush your teeth. You get in the car. You drive to work. You know your lunch is going to be around this time. There's a pattern through your work day. There's a rhythm to it. Those patterns are the driving force behind these places we show up at. So that means my patterns determine where I'm going. Patterns can keep you, like, stuck in it. My son Caleb, he got for Christmas a 3D printer. How many have seen those? It's really cool, actually. I mean, when I was a kid, you played Nintendo and, like, Cops and Robbers. This kid's got CAD drawings that he's downloading off the Internet, and it will 3D print out of uh, this resin a 3D model that calcifies or whatever in the moment and prints this physical thing. He's making me a one-seed coffee coaster right now. I sent him the artwork this morning. He said, Dad, can you send me an SVG? That would be best. I said, yes, my 11-year-old. Uh, let me convert the PNG I have for you. 3D printers, guess what they're doing? They're tracing a CAD pattern. The result is the fruit of the pattern. That's the fruit of it. God says, copy my pattern. He says it right here to the church. Copy my pattern. Verse 5, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. That means even when you don't understand it, do it. Copy it. I didn't learn to grill by just being great at it. I had to copy YouTube over and over until it looked like theirs, it tasted like theirs. Imitation turns into the real thing. I didn't worship the first time because I understood it. I worship because I know God said, if I do this, I'm surrendering to something. But it didn't really make sense. I sure as heck didn't have a lot of other things God did in my life come because I expected them. It's because I was hungry for, for purpose. And so God had to show me something, and I had to just start, start doing it. I'll never forget the preacher I almost wanted to punch in the face. Doesn't that sound good? Coming from a church boy, growing up in the church, seeing it all, this guy came up and grabbed my arms once, tried to jerk him in the air. You think I'm pushy. I was standing there, and, and, and he came up, and he grabbed both my arms, and he tried to yank up in the air, because guess what I wasn't doing, raising my arms. Now, last time I checked, that doesn't win people to Jesus. That gets you a, a black eye. And what's really sad is I knew this guy my whole life, but it, it caught me off guard so bad. It's a man's reaction when he's physically assaulted in a good way to react in a bad way. And, and, and so what I'm saying to you is like 
I didn't understand back then, and forcing it in that situation didn't help me. I had to desire it on my own. But there came to a point, I'll never forget the first time I raised my hand in church. It was at Cross Point Church in South County when Sean Craig was the worship leader. How many heard of Phillips, Craig, and Dean? They got some great hits. Great are you, Lord. I think that's it. Um, huge hit. And um, it was darker. See, see, the church I grew up in, it was never dark enough, so I felt weird. And then this church was like controversial. They were lowering the lights a little bit. And they were doing this crazy music dawn called Hillsong. And it was so radical and, and, and reprobate and crazy. And you know what I did for the first time? I raised my hands because I was comfortable. And I'm not saying you should wait that long. But I still didn't really feel the need to. I just was like, maybe I'll give this a try. Maybe I'll just do it. And God will do something with that. And he did. And honestly, it took years of that before I was actually comfortable doing it. And that's just one example. But that's where you have to decide, I want to change my pattern, even when I don't understand it. I just want to do the things of God, so I'm going to imitate heaven the best I can. I'm going to start imitating heaven the best I can in everything I do. And God will do the, do the rest. But those patterns are hard to embrace when we stay stuck in those confining old covenant law patterns we keep every day. Just for a minute, I want to try an experiment. Everybody close your eyes. Nobody's looking. And I want somebody to raise their hand if they feel like the old pattern is so strong, they can't be free of it. Somebody? Thank you for that. More? So they know they want to embrace the new pattern, but they can't be free to embrace the new because they're confound in this prison of the old. Okay, y'all can open your eyes again. Thank you for your honesty in that. I got something to tell you that what the Scripture says is that the new replaced it. And so that means it, it, it's, it's not there anymore. That was the problem with the law. That's why Christ came. It's because it couldn't be fulfilled. And so uh, they lived in shame forever because they could never even be forgiven if they didn't uphold the law by so many, you know, X, Y, Zs of, the, of the, the, the ritual of the law. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that that became obsolete when the new thing came. That new means the old has been removed. So what that means in your situation is, though you feel stuck, if God says, if you come to my direction, into my new covenant, come on, somebody, if you come to my new direction, the old thing is gone, so why am I hanging on to it? It's not even there. It's, it's, it's my mind not letting it go. Here's a perfect example. Anxiety. And I can preach to it because I've had panic attacks. I've had physical shaking and, and, and hyperventilation and all those things before. And I can tell you that my mind is the source of how much I let that grow. If God said, I am for you, and I am bigger than that, 
And I am bigger than the intimidation you feel because you're in a situation that's unfamiliar to you, then I know that that's just me holding on to something that I can really let go. And yeah, there's a physical correspondence to my emotional trigger that my mind builds. But eventually, and I'm not saying always, there's some real conditions that, that take some real time to get over, but the bulk of it says that if God is for you, the world can't keep you trapped there. The world can't keep you trapped there. You can't keep you trapped there if you don't want to stay there. The new replaces the old. This is why he did it. Let's remind us real quick, Gabe, verse 8 and 9. This is why he gave the new. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. There's a thing called a dispensation. And that means God's covenant was for that time. But now God had to bring the new covenant because that's for our time. That's for the new time. And he's reminding these people, just like y'all who raised your hand, stuck in that old trapping covenant of trying to uphold the law, that it's no longer the law. It is no law because grace got rid of the law. That's why you can be forgiven of that. And when you realize you can be forgiven of that, it can actually be obsolete like the text says. It is no different what he's speaking to in, in this priesthood here of these old way of thinking people than it is in today in 2023. It's the same mindset. We're holding the law and asking God to show us the new. And why isn't it growing? It's because I'm holding the law. Does it make sense? The law is that thing that you're trapped by. Places, patterns, purpose. So we've established that places are driven by the patterns and patterns determine where you go and together they reveal your purpose if they're aligned. Purpose is the result of patterns that create these new places. Remember, you don't have to find purpose, you just have to change your patterns and purpose will find you. That's God. God will find you. Purpose will find you. When you embrace the new, old things are no more. Quit talking about them. They're no more. You know what drives me crazy? Is when, like, you had, like, a little issue with somebody, and every time you see them, they keep bringing it back up. Even though it's squashed, they keep reminding you. Well, remember that one time? Remember that one time? Okay, it's been a year now. Okay, it's been five years now. Remember that one time? Why do you keep bringing it back up? It's gone. Let it go. Look to your neighbor and say, let it go, man. In your best frozen voice, let it go, let it go. Thanks, Vince. Great spiritual contribution there. It's good. I like it. I don't think they're hearing this today. You're going to do it when you leave here. Yeah, but no buts about it. Take the butt out of the sentence. Quit bringing it back up. It's gone. 
Why do we keep talking about the law when the law has been relinquished? Jeez, man. Can I get a JC for the love of Lord? That's heavenly talk. Purpose will find you when you change your pattern because that will change your places. And then you're going to find the new. You can stand this morning. If you never find the new, you've yet to discover the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is the good news. The good news. You, the good news. The good new. The good new covenant. You like that? It's not just the good news, which is not on TV, by the way. It's the good new thing that Christ came to give you to replace the old pattern so you can develop a new pattern, the good news pattern. And that's how you find purpose. God says, I'll remember your sins no more when you ask for forgiveness. That's so deep. You know why? Because it's simple. So like we don't necessarily, I don't remind myself of this, but repentance is just turning. I'm turning from that and I'm turning towards this. Repentance is changing your pattern and developing a new one. Because when you do that, God says, of course I forgive you. What do you think this is, the law? <laughs> that's why I came, because that didn't work. Those Israelites betrayed me every moment they had. No matter how many times I took them around that mountain and I gave them manna and I did everything they want, they just keep turning their back on me and worshiping ducks or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. So I got to do something new. I love you so much, says the Lord, that I got to come and do something new. It don't make sense. It don't make sense. Yeah, y'all don't deserve it. Who does, says the Lord. But because I love you so much, I love you so much, Jake, that I'm going to come anyway and do it a new way because the old way just isn't working. And guess what? I'm so smart, says the Lord. I already knew it wasn't going to work the old way. I just wanted to give it some time so y'all could have a revelation. Because once you have the revelation, that's why you're now my church to Israel, he says. You became, you became the Gentiles, the converted, the ones serving Christ because you had the revelation because your ancestors didn't. And so that same thing has to happen in, in 2023. Maybe your ancestors didn't, but God used that dispensation for a time and purpose. And this is a new window now. God's opening up the new covenant to you so you can go back and get them transformed the same way. Are y'all getting this? So when Jesus comes to the cross next week and Good Friday happens and y'all worried about your, what are those Cadbury eggs? I love those things. Michelle better got me some of those Cadbury eggs. When, when I'm thinking about that, I'm actually going to be thinking about why did Jesus go on the cross? Why did he put on the crown of thorns Friday? Why do they call it good? Why would they call something so dark good? You know the first thing people don't know when they don't know Jesus is they don't understand why it's called good. They think it's bad, but they don't know there was really no life until he died first. Because until he died, we couldn't have life. 
We were already dead in our trespasses, said the Bible. And the consequence of death is sin is eternal death. So God had to come so we could have life. Therefore, we get excited on Good Friday because we know what's coming on Sunday. That's why it's good. That's why it's good. So it's coming. Look to your neighbor tell him it's coming. He's coming Friday. He's already in Jerusalem. He's in the hotel waiting for his swag box from One Seat Church. He's in the hotel this week and Friday. He's going to the stage to hang on the cross because Sunday he's going up. He's coming out. And now you got a chance because it's the new covenant revealed for you. Thank you, God, for that. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for purpose. We thank you for purpose. My Lord, life would feel empty without understanding purpose. I mean, we've tried so hard to keep the high going with all the artificial, but until we find your purpose, we haven't discovered life. I thank you, Lord, for the image of purpose in our life, like our children and, and the love we have for each other and let that reveal to us the bigger mission here, that we can witness this love to somebody else. And next week, God, we, we're gonna call it now. We're gonna ask you, Lord, to bring your sheep into the house. Bring your sheep into One Seat Church. Let them see you on the cross different than they've ever seen, that it's not a tradition this time. It's a new covenant that they're ready to embrace because they have a purpose. And if they don't change the once a year pattern, they're not gonna find it. So God change the pattern, change the place so they can find their purpose. And it's our job, it's God's sheep to go out into the flock and find those by the fence, get them over the fence and bring them to the shepherd. We give you thanks for now for that, God. We give you all the praise and all the honor and everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. Good.